Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Leading in a Crisis podcast. I'm your host, Tom Mueller. With me is my co-host, Mark Mullen. And it's a pleasure to be here. On this podcast, we bring you interviews, stories, and lessons learned from companies in crisis. So why this topic? Why crisis? Through my career in corporate communications roles around the world, I've seen firsthand the challenges that people face learning to lead in a crisis. I've worked in many businesses and in, in many countries, and across those geographies, I've noticed a couple of things. And one of those is that many people will show up to deal with an incident or to work an exercise, but few actually have the skills to effectively lead in a crisis. And frankly, it's difficult to develop those skills unless you're in a crisis every month. And frankly, who wants it? Who wants to work a crisis every month? So in fact, we're busy every day, you know, providing value for the companies or the agencies that we work for. So developing crisis skills can be a real challenge. This podcast is going to focus on developing skills to help you lead in a crisis. Yes, and let's remember as we dive into this topic that you can have an excellent and a wonderful career and never respond to a crisis. So we're dealing with um, knowing how to address issues in an event or situation that we may never be in. So it's no wonder that we are not very good at it, and it's no wonder why we need to find ways to augment a lack of actual experience with an understanding of the dynamics and an understanding of the processes. So we're going to do that. We're going to help sort of build knowledge by talking to people who have deep experience working in crisis and who are leaders, section chiefs, corporate communications executives, business leaders, and frankly, anyone else we can find who we think can bring some value and lessons learned for around leading in a crisis. Now, my bias is toward external facing roles for this podcast. And I think Mark brings a similar viewpoint on this. And that's the public information, government affairs slash liaison officer roles. But we're going to cover topics that will help you develop your skills regardless of your role in a crisis response. Knowledge is power. And of course, knowledge of how a major crisis unfolds and the tools and processes for dealing with it will help you be better prepared to lead. And if knowledge is power, and I think we all agree that it is, we need to consider again that we need to extend that courtesy of sharing knowledge with our stakeholders who are concerned about whatever has just happened. We need to get better at external communications because it may be the most critical role in the entire response. Communications is absolutely critical, but the operational response is likewise critical. And each team within an incident command system or within a response has a huge role to play in advising incident command and management on things they should be doing or thinking about doing as part of this response. You know, Mark, as I was sort of conceptualizing this podcast and, and developing a plan, 
I went through my LinkedIn contacts, just looking for interesting people uh, to talk to about leading in a crisis. I stopped counting at 40 people who I would like to interview about their experiences working in crisis situations, and more importantly, lessons learned uh, from their perspective that can help each of us be better prepared to lead in a crisis. Uh, I've actually got people lined up from several different countries to uh, come in and share their perspectives with us from like the UK, from Europe, uh, India, uh, Australia, China, Brazil, Canada, and the United States. A lot of what we'll touch on will focus on the response systems that are traditionally used to manage major incidents and what you need to know to operate effectively within those systems. And let's face it, most of us are only vaguely familiar with those response systems. The incident command system is one example, and we don't have a lot of time in our working day to study and learn about them. But without that knowledge of those systems, it's going to be difficult to lead a team effectively, especially if you're in a longer duration or larger scale incident. So we'll talk to people who are familiar with those systems and get their tips for working well within that structure. I'd like to touch base on three points here. First of all, that international perspective that can be so critical actually in how well we do our, our job in a local response even. Um, I'd also like to talk for just a moment about incident command as well. And and to go back to, to international responses and the difference we live in a world that's increasingly connected and there's really no such thing anymore. It's just a local response. If your incident is severe or if you're responding to a major issue, you're going to have global interest and global concerns. Plus, we live in an increasingly diverse society where those cultures and those thought patterns are actually with us. And we need to be ready to respond to people from multiple cultures and countries. So that exposure, I think, will be very valuable. Um, the other point, again, is about incident command. Again, it's practiced in the United States and Europe, um, but no matter where you go for a response, the, every response works inside some structure. And by default, those structures tend to end up looking very similar, whether it's incident command system that was invented in California during the urban wildfires or something that's put together in a country simply because their core team has to, has to build a structure of how to respond. It is important that we understand incident command system or ICS. It's important that communicators recognize their role in ICS. And what's particularly important there is that communicators understand that we have a leadership role in that. Again, much of what we will be dealing with in any response has to do with how the public perceives the response. And every reputation in the room is on the line. And the communicators have an absolutely critical role in that. Many of you who are uh, listening to this podcast have worked in large response organizations, and you've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly of trying to get things done. As I think back on my experiences working in various incidents, uh, the approval process is one thing that comes to mind as a source of constant challenge. Now, I serve primarily in PIO roles, so getting accurate information out to the public quickly is a top priority. 
a slow approval process can seriously jeopardize that mission. It certainly can. There's a slogan, everybody complains about the weather, but nobody does anything about it. And that to me is the communicator's um, concept of the approval process. We all complain about it. We all wish it would work better. And that's a topic that can certainly be addressed and should be addressed. But I'd like to roll us back for a minute to incident command on that. Because again, the approval process is part of the incident command system and the process is part of the incident command system. But it's actually within a structure that places the PIO in a more important role than just gaining approval of product. In incident command, in unified command, the PIO's role is a command level role and it's aimed at bringing counsel and advice to incident command. The, the communicator, communicator comes in as the expert on communications and your first role is leadership. So we need to keep that in context and then certainly deal with it. Yeah, excellent points there, Mark. And you know the same could be said of your other sections, your ops sections, your planning sections and others. Each of those section chiefs is the, you know, leading that section, but then also coaching and counseling incident commanders on proper approach and actions. So there's a lot to uh, to take in there. As we move forward in this podcast, um, we're also going to take a look at some tools that can help you and your team respond more efficient, effectively and faster, potentially. Tools such as crisis apps, crisis websites, and similar tools. Many larger corporations today are already using crisis apps, uh, but many are not. So we're going to spend some time talking about those and some of the advantages and disadvantages of that. And with your indulgence, we'd also like to spend a little time talking about ransomware. We're all familiar with now the growing threat that ransomware provides um, in, uh, in the business world, also in the public sector world now where more and more hospitals, police departments, municipalities are being targeted by these ransomware thieves. So we're going to spend a little bit of time trying to figure out, you know, what are some best practices for dealing with those situations and get our nose under the tent a little bit to learn how companies have responded and what we can take away from those responses. And that's an interesting topic because, again, as we understand communications in our prim primary role, um, it's just a different world. Ransomware walks into a whole bunch of different areas that we really need to be aware of, or we'll we'll be just stirring the waters when we're trying to help. So, Tom, that'll be a fascinating topic. Hey, as you can see, we've got a lot to talk about in the coming weeks. Mark, are you ready for this journey? I'm looking forward to it. All right. Well. Guys, thanks for listening to this uh, inaugural episode of the Leading in a Crisis podcast. We hope you'll subscribe and come back regularly to join the conversation as we bring you interviews, stories, and lessons learned from companies in crisis. Mm -hmm.